All right, go ahead and grab your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Jerry Bridges said this, he said, Every day that we're not practicing godliness, we're being conformed to the world of ungodliness around us. As we move on in 2 Peter, we are going to kind of get now into the meat of the letter. We, we looked at the greeting last week and, and how um, the audience of who Peter was writing to was so important that he was writing to Christians of equal standing. Um, so it didn't matter if they were uh, Jewish Christians or Gentile Christians. The, the faith that comes through the righteousness of God is the same for both. And he's preparing them now for um, these false teachers to move in. And so he's preparing them for that. And the reality is this, that the pursuit of godliness is an imperative for Christians, right? So to pursue godliness, to, to work to become holy is not optional. It's an imperative. It's a command. But it's not a command to the point where do this or else. It's rather a response to the goodness of God in us, a response to the graciousness of God towards us that we want to strive for holiness and to pursue godliness. The main idea for this morning is those who receive God's gracious gift of salvation desire To live a transformed life. Again, those who receive God's gracious gift of salvation desire to live a transformed life. I want to pray for us and we're going to get straight to work this morning. Father, as we prepare to open your word together in preaching and hearing, God, we come understanding and knowing that and trusting that you have already been working in our lives this week, this morning, preparing us to come here at this time to hear from you. We ask that you would tear down any walls that may be keeping us from fully trusting in you or from understanding what you want from us and for us. So God, would you bless the reading of your word? We know that the reading of your word alone is powerful enough to change hearts, but will you work during this time through the work of your Holy Spirit to awaken within us this desire and need to pursue you above all other things? Fathers, we look at the reality of life and godliness. May we be encouraged by your word, by the hope we have in you, and challenged by your word to repent of sins that may be keeping us from pursuing you fully. More than anything, God, for those who are here that may have never fully trusted in Jesus for salvation. 
May through the preaching of your word, their hearts be broken to the point of crying out for repentance so that they may taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, would you bless this time and may you receive a blessing from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He begins with this idea of life and godliness with the reality of a powerful gift. Verse 3 and 4 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises." So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. It's important for us to remember who Peter is writing to. Peter is writing to Christians, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, those who have put their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. Now, that doesn't mean if you're not a Christian, you're not going to get anything from this. Actually, it means we want you to press in and lean in to hear what is taking place so that you see the ultimate hope that one has when they trust in the Lord. And Peter writing to Christians is building now on this greeting where he called Christians to grow in both the grace and the knowledge of God. And he's moving forward to say that we don't simply receive grace and peace. Verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and and of Jesus our Lord, but that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So he doesn't just go grace and peace, but it's grace, peace, and all things. In other words, God is giving Christians, those who trust in Him for salvation, all things that pertain to life and godliness. So what in the world does that mean? Because you're probably sitting there saying, well, I don't have all things. There are a lot of things that I want that I don't have materially. But the reality, Christian, and again, I say Christian because that's who he's writing to. If you're not a Christian, we still want you to lean in. We still want you to hear the hope that we have in the Lord. So that through this, God may awaken your heart. But specifically, Christian... You have been given everything you need for life and godliness. Right? You, according to what David writes in Psalm 23, I want nothing. I have all that I need that pertains to life and godliness. All things that I need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God I have. And it's been given by God and exists in me in the work of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing lacking. 
So practically what this means is when we begin to complain about not having the same gifts or opportunities or whatever that others have to do God's work or to grow in the grace and knowledge of God, what we're actually doing is we're denying God's omniscience and power. So when we try to say, because I don't look like that, or because I'm not here, or because I don't have this, I can't do what I need to do to serve the Lord, that's completely denying the power of God. Because here he clearly says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, in His sovereign wisdom, He has given you all things you need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. So the question kind of becomes for us, well, how am I responding to that? What will I do with this? What will I do with this gift of God? Because the truth that we get from this is that God is God and He and His divine power has granted us all things that pertains to life and godliness. Right? So through His divine nature, He gives. Only God can do that. You can't attain all that you need for life and godliness on your own. Right? There's not enough good works that you can do to become this super Christian. There's not enough that you can do to merit the favor of God so that you'll be the most perfect representation of God on this earth. No, there was only one, and his name was Jesus. The rest of us are desperately lacking because of sin in our life. But God, in his divine power, has granted to us, Christians, those who trust in him, all things that pertain to life and godliness. What are you doing with that? I would probably be safe in saying that if this week you were having time where you were praying or reading your Bible and God appeared to you in your, right, right in front of you, in your living room or wherever you're at. And He said, I've given you everything you need, now go and do this. I'd be pretty sure to say that all of us would do that because we become face-to-face with God. Now, we know that if we come face-to-face with God, we'll likely die. But if that were possible on this earth, we would do everything within our power to do what God tells us, tells us to do. Fact, this is God's living and abiding word. And so it's no different. And he has told us now that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That is, it's not of your work, it's not of your earning, it's not of my work, it's not of my earning, but it is God himself in his divine power that has granted to us all things. No asterisk. All things. The sovereign creator of all things has created you. He sustains you. And now he is supplying you with everything you need to grow in godliness. So we have no excuse.
for me, sometimes I think, man, if I could just have that resource or if I could just have that notebook or if I could just have that, then I could do this. And it would like it would just be the the most wonderful time in the Lord ever. But the reality is, is he's given us all things we need. How do we respond? How do we respond to God giving us all things we need for life and godliness? He's given us everything. Again, He's created us, He has sustained us, and He promises to supply us with all we need. Why? He says, through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them, through this gift, through these promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. He gives us this so that through him and through his promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature. How? He says, through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. In other words, we grow closer to him as we grow in our understanding of him. I know this isn't the first time you've heard us say this, but the more we grow deep into the word of God, the more we grow in our affections of God himself. Because God reveals himself to us through the Bible. And we are led to rejoice and we're led to worship because as we learn him and we learn of him and we see what he's done for us, we remember and when we see better and more clearly that our sin has been forgiven and that our lives have been supplied with all things we need to pursue him in a way that would bring him glory. That is a powerful gift. It's a gift that eclipses almost every gift. So God not only saves us, but in his saving us through the work of Jesus, he then supplies us with all we need. He doesn't just save us and then push us out the door and say, figure it out. He gives us all we need. He empowers us with all we need. And so what in the world are we doing with that? It's a powerful gift because it's come from the power of Almighty God. His divine power. No other could grant us these things. You can't do it. I can't do it for you. No one else can do it for you. Only God in His power can give you all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it is up to us then to do something with that. And that something is a transformed life. Verse 5, he says, For this very reason. What reason? That God in His divine powers granted us all things that pertains to life and godliness. That for this very reason. He says, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. In response to the powerful gift of God, Christians respond by working towards godliness. Now, you need to hear this. 
He's not saying you're working to receive God. You're working because you already have. Right? That's what a response is. It wouldn't be a response to God if you were trying to get God to respond to you. Understand? So we are working because of what God has done for us. Not of what we can get in return. Because He's already given us everything needed for life and godliness. So in response to that, then, we are to make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue. We are to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. And we see that He has given us this list of qualities and characteristics for us to pursue. But in order to understand how these play out in our lives, we need to understand what he says there, that it is to make every effort. Right? You've heard the saying before, you lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. He's given us all we need. Now he's saying, now, what are you going to do with it? What we should be doing, according to Peter, is making every effort to supplement our faith with virtue. So to live a life that reflects the nature and the character of God, that we should live an honest life, a a God-glorifying life, and, and that virtue then we supplement with knowledge. So the more we understand God and His Word, the more we can live virtuously. And as we begin to gain knowledge of who he is and what he's done, then we begin to gain more self-control. We want to to be careful with our time and we want to make sure we study the word of God and we want to make sure we do point A and point B and point C. And so we're, we're supplementing all of these things. It's building upon one another. So as I grow in the grace and knowledge of God, I'm becoming more self-controlled with my time and my study and my life. And that self-control then becomes steadfastness. So as I'm, as I'm building these godly and holy routines into my life, then I'm becoming more steadfast in my pursuit of Him, that there is nothing that can get in my way. And as that happens, then I'm becoming more godly. I am be- I'm beginning to look more and act like the person of Jesus. So I am becoming into the image of Christ. Verse 7, and that godliness then turns into brotherly affection. So then I love the brothers and I have affection for the brothers. I desire to be with the people that God has put around me that love him and serve him. And I want nothing more than that. And that brotherly affection then with love. And that's where he lands. So you see how he's building up to this point of love. God has given us all things that pertain to life godliness so that we can pursue all of these characteristics and all of these things, all of these areas, so that we can land on this place. See, and it takes effort to get here. It takes effort to gain knowledge. It takes effort to be self-controlled. It takes effort to be steadfast. It takes effort to be godly and to live a godly life. It takes effort to have brotherly affection and it takes effort to love. But as we know and we have heard, anything worth having is worth working for. And so if we believe God, the person of God, the word of God, then our only rightful response to him is a life of worship. 
and it takes effort. You just don't happen into it. No one has ever seen someone just become a world-class athlete by accident. You don't just happen one day and say, hey, I'm going to be a professional football player. It takes a life of work and sacrifice and effort to get to that point. Likewise, you don't just accidentally become a faithful disciple of Jesus. It takes work and it takes effort and it takes sacrifice. And this list that Peter has just given us kind of acts as a blueprint for us as Christians, for the people of God. So then, Christian, if you realize that you've been called and you've been saved by God, then you also need to realize that you're being sent by God to declare His glory. Again, same question. How do we respond? How do we respond to the majesty of God? How do we respond to the work of God in our lives? How do we respond to the calling of God on our lives? Again, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. We are to live a life of love because we understand that we have been loved greatly. And so maybe you want to ask the question, then why in the world are so many Christians unloving? It's a good question that has a pretty simple answer. One, that unloving person is either not a Christian, or two, they're just not growing in their faith. They're just stagnant, just stuck, doing nothing. But what we understand is that as we progress in the Christian life, we call this sanctification, right? Growing in the grace and knowledge of God. We're growing closer to the Lord. We're growing deeper in His Word. We're growing more zealous in the works of the Lord. As we progress in this Christian life, we begin to see these qualities play out. And if you ever just have those moments where you just step back and you just kind of look at the broader picture, what you'll see is that God is transforming your life. I'm no longer who I once was, but I'm not where I need to be. Like You see that process happening. You see God changing your heart. You see God changing your life. You see God changing the aspects of your life. And all of a sudden, you want to do things that you never thought you'd want to do. You want to study the Word more. And you're willing to bypass things that you never thought you would want to bypass. You just want to turn the TV off and you just want to read. You just want to study the Word of God. You, you, you want to forfeit your time alone so that you can have people in your home, so that you can share the love of Christ. And all of a sudden, God's changing your heart. Because we know then how much He has loved us. So 
See, this growth in godliness, this growth in the grace and the knowledge of God, what it does is it allows us to not be unfruitful. Verse 8 says, For if these qualities, qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what Jesus said would happen to the unfruitful trees? They would be cut down, thrown aside, and burned. In essence, then, an unfruitful Christian is likely not a Christian. It's one who has heard the gospel message. They even may not object to the name of Jesus. They may even do the works of Jesus. They may go to church, and they may give, and they may attend these events. They may give a little bit of money. They may have given some time or some effort. Maybe they walked down an aisle and said a prayer and got baptized. And, but really, they're just not doing anything. But a transformed life is one that works for the glory of God because it's been saved by the grace of God. You're not going to want to do the works of God for the glory of God if you don't realize how great God's salvation is for you. If you think that you can just keep checking off boxes and living good enough, that God will be pleased with that, and somehow when you die, you'll stand before Him and try to give Him your list of good works, accomplishments. I am sure that he'll give you a list in return of all your faults and your sins against him, and that will be much greater. So if you want to walk that tightrope, I guess you can do that, but I'm here to tell you that it's not going to end well for you. And we know that again because back in verse 1, he said to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing, meaning those who have um, been given the gracious gift of salvation, it is of equal standing, how? By the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Not by your works, not by your efforts, not by your to-dos, but just simply through the work of Jesus. And so now he's saying, for these, qual for these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, in other words, if you're sitting there and you're not being fruitful and you're doing nothing for the work of God in your life, if you have zero desire to study the Word of God, if you have zero desire to glorify God in all things, then maybe it's time to repent and trust in Jesus.
Because once you understand how horrible and wretched your sin is and how gracious God has been to save you from that, the only rightful response is to worship Him with all of life. So what about those who are unchanged? What about the unfruitful? Verse 9, he says, For whoever, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So he's talking to those who are trusting in the Lord, but they're just not doing anything yet. They're not doing anything because they've forgotten that they've been cleansed from their sin. That they've been redeemed by the graciousness of God through the sacrificial work of Jesus. The pure, spotless lamb sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins. Blind. It's kind of like the church in Revelation who they just lost their first love. They grew away because they did nothing. But notice what he says as a charge in verses 10 and following. It says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we see a few things here. He's saying, therefore, so in response to all of this, brothers, right? So he's writing to Christians. And by using the language brothers, he's reminding us that it doesn't matter who we are, where we're from, What we make, what we do, if we are in Christ, we are, uh, verse 1, of equal standing. So we're all family through the grace of Jesus, sinners saved by grace. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Be diligent. Run the race that is before you. Persevere to the very end. And it's in doing that that we confirm our calling and election. So you see a lot of people who go through the motions of becoming a Christian. And they might serve the Lord for a few years. But then the rest of their life is devoid of Christ. And then at their funeral, somebody stands up and says, yeah, well, they made a profession of faith, so-and-so, and and I know they love the Lord. They might have walked away for a little while, but they still love the Lord. I'm here to tell you, if you walk away and you die in that, you you never knew the gospel of Christ, and you never knew the God of the gospel. See, we don't earn our salvation. It's given to us. And when it's given to us, we persevere to the very end. We persevere by growing in virtue and in knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love.
In other words, your faith will be proven in time. I've told you this example before, but when we were at First Baptist, we had a handful of youth that, man, they just got set ablaze. They would leave services on Wednesday night, and they were going to gas stations and restaurants and grocery stores, and they were inviting people to church, and they were telling people the gospel, and they were talking about all the greatness of God, and they were doing stuff throughout the week. It was almost as a mini-revival was taking place, and, and we... Um, I say we, me and Lance, my youth, our youth pastor, who I worked under at the time, we, we took a handful of the, the boys um, to a few different church members' homes to just let them listen. To let them understand, like, yeah, this is good and all, but it'll be proven over time. So we sit down with Miss Evelyn Solomon at the time, who at that point had been a member of First Baptist and a faithful member for over 70 years. I can tell you of the three guys we took, two of them are not walking with God today. One is, two are not. They have completely denounced the faith. See, it's not a sprint, folks. It's not about what we do in the moment. It's about what we do with a lifetime that God gives us. Sanctification doesn't happen overnight. You don't become godly overnight. You can become saved in an instance, but it takes a life of growing closer to God to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. And there are going to be so many times where you think, is it worth it? Am I ever going to get there? Am I ever going to please God? The hope you have is verse 3. His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who have called us to his own glory and excellence. And by which, verse 4, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them... You may become partakers of the divine nature, have an escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So you continue to trust in this powerful, gracious gift of God. You continue to live a transformed life. It's not going to be easy. There are going to be plenty of trials and plenty of temptations. But if you stand firm in the faith that has been once for all delivered to the saints, you can make it. And you can make it because God has held you secure. Those that do not, they never truly trusted in Christ. So persevere to the very end. When it when you wake up tomorrow morning and you have an option, do I watch TV or play on my phone or do I have a few minutes to open the Word of God? Open the Word of God. Start small. Don't, don't dive in thinking you've got to read all of Genesis tomorrow. Don't think you've got to read the entire Old Testament by the end of the week because you won't make it. I mean, physically, yes, you can do it. There's enough time to do it. You can read the whole Bible in, what, 72 hours if you sit down, but... If you try that ambitiously, you're just not going to get there. It takes time. 
if you walked into a gym right now and you hadn't worked out ever or in a really, really long time and you just threw 500 pounds on a bar and you tried to, to, to pick it up off the ground, it ain't happening. If it does, I'll give you a high five, but it probably ain't happening. But you might can get there over time. Moving on, Peter gives us then the strong reminder. Verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. As he's concluding this section, Peter gives this extremely pastoral and a pretty real reminder. It's real in that he knows his life's coming to an end. Remember kind of the quick journey of Peter, right? fishing, called by Jesus, he leaves everything, follows Jesus, makes some mistakes, but he's kind of like disciple A, you know, he's number one, he's the leader of the pack kind of deal, and then it comes to the, the most pivotal moment in history, and he denies Jesus even after following him, giving him everything for three years, but Jesus restores him, and then he stands up, in Acts 2, and he starts preaching, and the church goes from 120 to, to 3,120 in just a matter of a few moments, and then a revival takes place through the book of Acts, and the gospel begins to spread to others, and then to other towns, and then other regions, and it's just going forward, and it's still going forward, and, and he's now been kind of reestablished as the apostle of Jesus, an apostle of Jesus, and a servant of Jesus, and he's sitting here, and now he's at the end of his life, and he said, listen, there's going to be some people that are going to rise up, and they're going to tell you all kind of things. Do not fall. Grow in the grace and knowledge of God, and I know now that my life is about to come to an end, but I I'm doing everything in my power by writing this letter to you so that you can be reminded over and over and over and over again of the grace that comes from God and the necessity we have to live for Him. And it's almost as if he knew he was writing Scripture at this point. It's kind of interesting to think about, right? They... I don't know if the disciples would have known specifically that they were writing what was going to be the Bible, but they knew that they were being led by the work of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. We'll get into that next week. And that he was writing something that was going to be lasting. And he's writing it so that they remember, in verse 15, he says, I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now, I know there are many Christians around the world that don't have the access to the Word of God like us, but every one of us at any time can open up a Bible or turn on a Bible app and we can go to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we can be reminded that His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. That's pretty amazing, right? That 2,000 years, roughly, he writes that any time you may be reminded of these truths, the truth that you've been saved by the grace of God and you've been called for the glory of God. And so he says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are what? Established in the truth you have. What's he mean? They've heard the gospel. These are people who have confessed faith in Christ. They have trusted Jesus with their lives and with their souls. They have been established. They have a firm foundation. And he's simply reminding them to continue to press on. People are going to say stuff, don't listen. For me, I want to say people are going to say stuff, you listen through this lens. You hold the Bible up in front of your face and you say, does it line up with the Scripture or not? And if it doesn't, you just walk away. See, Christians are called to stir one another other towards love and good works. And that is exactly what we see Peter doing right here in this letter. See, by reminding them of both the greatness of God and the graciousness of God in salvation, he is now calling them to respond to God by living lives of faithful worship to him. Romans 12, 1, remember it? Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It is our worship that we would live all of life for the glory of God. And he goes on, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is the hearing of the gospel, the message of the gospel, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You want to prepare yourself for hearing false teaching? Know the word of God. Use the word of God as a lens. And in this day and age, I'm here to tell you, you need to hear what the Word of God has to say, not what other people have to say. You need to know what the Word of God teaches, and and you need to let the Word of God stand on its own. We don't interpret the Word of God with any other means, especially secular means. We interpret the Word of God with the Word of God, sola scriptura. The Word of God alone is our final authority in all things that pertain to life and godliness. And God has given us this word and he has blessed this word and he has carried upon this word throughout generation to generation to generation so that we can equate ourselves with the audience of Peter that we have been established in the truth. We hear of the greatness of God. We hear of the graciousness of God of salvation towards us. Through the word and in our gathering on Sundays and Wednesdays. And our response as the people of God 
is not defined on our terms, but it's defined on the word of God's term. And that is that we would live as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. Ask yourself this question. Is my life being poured out for the glory of Christ? Am I living in faith? Am I trusting Jesus? Am I listening to God speak through the word? Am I praying constantly? Is my life being transformed into the image of Jesus? Peter wanted this to be a reminder to these brothers and sisters and a reminder to us many years later, and we need these reminders. You should always be preaching the gospel to yourself. You shouldn't just hear the gospel on Sunday morning. You need to be in the Word. You need to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of God. This week, we memorized New City Catechism number one. And the question was, what is our only hope in life and death? And the answer was simple, that we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our only hope. Hope, He is our primary purpose in life. So it's kind of foolish to spend all of life on all of these things that don't matter at all. Knowing that in a very short time we'll be standing before Him, giving an account for what we have done and what we have not done. And so we must constantly be asking ourselves these questions. Am I... Exhibiting the qualities that God has laid out through Peter in this letter. Am I living a life of godliness? Am I reflecting the glories of Christ? Am I growing in the grace and the knowledge of God? Am I growing individually as a person? Am I leading my family in worship and growing in grace and godliness? Am I leading other people to know and to trust in Jesus? Am I serving God faithfully every moment of every day? If the answer is yes, then praise God for that. But if the answer is no, then we are left with two possibilities. One, you're not a Christian. If that's the case, then you need to repent of your sins and you need to turn to Jesus and trust Him today. And secondly, if you're a Christian and you've just grown stagnant in your faith, then you need to likewise repent and you need to return to your first love and do the work that has been given for you to do, trusting that the divine power of God has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called you to His own glory and excellence. So go, do, and trust. Just make sure all of life is spent for the glory of pray. Our Father, may our souls be encouraged or wrecked this morning. If we've never trusted in the saving work of Jesus, may we be led
to repentance and to trust in Him for salvation because we need to be saved from our sin and He is the only means possible. Likewise, God, may those of us who are trying to live for the glory of God be encouraged that we have all we need if we just lean into you, we press into you, and we just press forward. God, would you work a great work of transformation in each and every one of us this morning so that we would live lives that display and reflect the glory of Almighty God. We ask all of this in the victorious and gracious name of Jesus. Amen.